Good morning again, and welcome again to South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Nathan Turquie, and I'm one of the pastors here at South Baton Rouge, and we're glad that you're here with us to worship uh, this morning. If you haven't been here before, uh, right now on, su- on Sunday mornings, uh, we've been going together, going through together uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which is a New Testament letter. Um, and we're actually coming to the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, last little section. And Paul, if you didn't know, he ended um, his letter by commenting on spiritual warfare. Um, that was the topic. And we began addressing that topic together last week, and we're going to try and finish it uh, this morning if we can. So last week we saw um, that Paul urged us to open our eyes, um, to open our eyes to see that we do in fact have a terrible enemy who is opposed to us, the devil. And our enemy, we said this last week, um, he loves to sail with the wind of our hearts. That is, he tailors his various schemes, his variety of schemes uh, to fit us in order to tempt us, in order to accuse us, and cause us to not be assured of God's love and forgiveness for us. Um, And so that's what we talked about last week. But today, we're going to finish this discussion on spiritual warfare by talking about the armor Um, the equipment that God provides for us in order to be able to to defend ourselves against our enemy's attacks. And so we're going to pick up our reading this morning uh, in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6. So you can either turn there in your Bibles or it's printed for you in your bulletin and we'll read to the end of the letter in verse 24 and then we'll pray and talk about the verses. So let's give our attention to God's holy and inerrant word. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am, how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. Gracious Father, um, 
we come to you this morning and ask for your help by your Spirit. Um, These are confusing verses, and we pray that you would, by your Spirit, make them clear to us. Um, Help us to believe what you tell us. Help us to obey what you tell us. And Father, most of all, we pray that you would lead us to Jesus, that we might see him anew this morning with eyes of faith, that we might take comfort in all that he has accomplished for us, in his life, his death, and his resurrection. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. So for as long as I can remember, I've been... uh, scared of heights, um, or, or more specifically, I guess, uh, scared of falling from heights. And, um, you know, watching people like Alex Honnold uh, climb El Capitan without uh, ropes, um, or actually just knowing that he did it uh, makes me sick to my stomach. Um, but it, and it's been a few years, but I used to have these terrible nightmares about falling, and I'd wake up sweating and in a panic, and I'll tell you about that some other time. But as far back as I remember, I've had this fear of heights, and so I don't know how it happened, but at some point, uh, this is years ago, I got talked into going with a group of friends uh, to try rock climbing in somewhere in Kentucky, and um, and a company was going to set us up with all the equipment, they were going to do some kind of training with us, and then they were going to have their guys come out and, and guide us and make sure we stayed safe and all that. Um, but uh, So they set us up with all kinds of stuff, with all kinds of equipment. Um, we had helmets and special shoes and the harness and the carabiners and the ropes and a little chalk bag and, and all that kind of stuff. And a bunch of guys went in front of me, and eventually my turn came up, and God. I was so nervous, tense, scared, and uh, so I, I climbed, and I, I got probably 30 feet up or, or so, and, um, and then it happened. My foot slipped, and I felt myself coming off of the face of the rock, and for a moment, it was sheer terror, Right? Uh, but it only lasted a brief moment because in that split second, um, I felt the rope tighten up, felt the harness grab me, and, and I, I realized in that split second that despite my worst fears, I was going to be safe, right? Um, the equipment that I had was going to protect me and take care of me, and so to discover and experience that in that moment that I could trust this equipment that I had, it, it, it allowed me that day to continue climbing um, and to even climb from that point forward with more freedom and confidence and even a little joy um, in there, believe it or not. Um, and it was still hard work. To get to the top, but a very different climb for me once I had discovered this new confidence. And here's what I think Paul is saying in these verses. He's saying, you have an enemy 
a real enemy. And he seeks to tempt you and to accuse you. The warfare is very, very real. But he's also saying this. He's saying if you're a believer, you've been given equipment for this warfare. What Paul called the armor of God. And it's in knowing where this armor comes from. It's in knowing what it is. It's in knowing how to use it that we find confidence and freedom and even joy in the midst of very difficult battles in life. Um, so here, here we go. We're going to talk about these three things. We're going to talk about the armor's origin, and then we're going to talk about the armor's description, and then finally we're going to talk about the armor's use. The armor's origin, description, and use. So first, the armor's origin. Um, where do we get this equipment? Where does this armor come from? That's, that's my question. And I know this is a very simple point, but it's absolutely critical to understanding and applying this passage correctly. Okay, Paul didn't say, take up your armor. He didn't say, put on your armor. In every place, he called it the armor of God. Right? Beyond that, Paul, and we, unfortunately we can't get all into this this morning, but Paul was also drawing very directly from the Old Testament book of Isaiah when he talks about the armor, when he lists these pieces of armor. Um, and it, if you want to talk to me later, I can give you all the cross-references, what he's talking about there. But when Isaiah talks about this armor and the different pieces of it, he's describing someone, and it's not you, and it's not me, but he's describing the armor of the Messiah, God's divine warrior. So this armor... Whatever it is, and we're going to get to that in the next point. But this armor, we're saying, belongs to God. The armor's origin is God himself. It's an armor that we are entirely dependent upon God to provide for us. Um, There have been some pretty, I'll call them creative interpretations of these verses here over the years. Um, And... I think the most troubling interpretations of these verses always begin with an assumption that this armor comes from us and our our own provision and what we can do. Um, Those interpretations, let me just give you an idea of kind of how they sound like, although they're put differently by different people, but they sound like this. Oh, a breastplate of righteousness, okay, is by being better, it's by being Gooder, more good, right? It's by being more righteous. And if you can do that, then you'll be able to stand up to the enemy's attacks. Feet shod with the readiness given by the gospel of peace. It's in sharing the gospel with others um, that you'll be protected from the evil one. A shield of faith, if you just have more faith or stronger faith, then you'll be able to extinguish the enemy's darts or arrows or whatever. And please listen to me. I'm not saying you shouldn't strive to be more righteous or share the gospel with others or have more or or do a better job exercising your faith. You should do all of those things. All wonderful points, just not the point of this passage, okay? Uh, What gave me confidence in that little... um, 
illustration at the beginning in the rock climbing. It wasn't my technique. I was just learning how to do it that day. It wasn't in the, the strength of my arms, my legs, my fingers, whatever. My confidence was in the equipment that was provided for me. It's such a simple point, but it's absolutely critical for understanding this passage and applying it. The armor's origin is God himself, and and here's what that means. It means you and I are completely and entirely dependent upon God and his grace. It means the only way to live the Christian life and the only way to engage in this battle is an utter and complete dependence upon God's grace. It's to live before God as a little helpless child entirely dependent upon your Father's love and grace and kindness to provide for and protect you. Do you remember what Jesus uh, told his disciples in Luke chapter 18? This is when all these people were bringing these little children to Jesus and they were trying to stop them from bringing these little children to Jesus. It's a famous scene. But he said this. He said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. And he said this, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus' kingdom has to be received like a dependent helpless little child. The kingdom belongs to such as these. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't commending you should have a childish or immature faith. That's not what he's talking about. He was saying like a child, like an infant, who is entirely dependent upon someone else, like a little child who receives everything in life as a gift, That's how you come into and live in God's kingdom. See, when you were a little child, when you were an infant, you know what that means? That meant? It meant someone else in your life was totally exhausted. Whether that be a mom or a dad or a grandparent or whatever. Because you couldn't dress yourself, you couldn't feed yourself, you couldn't change your own diaper, you couldn't bathe yourself. You couldn't even get from one room to another without being carried in there by someone else. Okay, all that being said, we're going to make one little uh, but very pointed application, okay? Do you know what the very next verse in Luke's gospel is? It goes like this. And a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what follows is a famous story of a rich, young successful ruler who came to Jesus. And Jesus told him to sell all that he had and give it to the poor, but this man couldn't do it, and he went away from Jesus sad. If you, that in and of itself is astounding. Because almost every time people are coming to Jesus sad, and they're going away happy. But this man came full of himself, And what he could do, and he left Jesus sad. And Jesus said in this famous passage, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Do you see why Luke put those two stories together? Because he's saying, beware. It's really, really hard 
For people who have it all together, rich, young, successful, competent, to be dependent like a child, to look outside of themselves for what they can't provide. It's really hard for the able, the wealthy, the strong to be dependent. Okay, unless I've entirely misread this room, that's us. Wealthy, young, successful, competent. And those qualities that look like incredible assets in a meritocracy, in Jesus' kingdom, they're liabilities. Liabilities, when they keep us from total dependence like a little child upon God and his grace, from looking out, when they keep us from looking outside of ourselves to what only God can do for us. None of these verses in Ephesians about this armor make any sense until you realize that all this armor comes from God and all you can do is like a child, receive it as a gift. Because of who we are, it's extremely important that we would regularly stop and ask, am I living like a needy, dependent child of the king? Because that's what we are. All right, second, let's talk about the armor's description. We know that when Paul wrote this letter to the the church in Ephesus, that he was imprisoned in Rome. And and I don't know if this is the case or not, but it could very well be that that Paul is sitting here writing this letter, was sitting there writing this letter, and he was looking at the guard who was guarding him and just describing his dress, because it's the dress of a Roman soldier. Now, I think the best way to think through this armor is to basically think through three categories of this armor, um, two of which we'll talk about in this point. So let me just give you the categories here. First, there was the belt, the thing that comes first in his list, which was really the foundational piece of armor in a Roman soldier's dress. Um, And then came the various other pieces of armor, uh, which were either attached to the belt or they were supplemental pieces of armor in some way. And then finally, in the final category, came the only offensive pieces of armor. uh, The sword of the spirit and prayer, which I think belongs with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. More on that in the in the last point, though. Um, I know this is an unfamiliar image for us, which makes it a little bit more challenging for us to see how this metaphor works. But in describing the soldier's dress, Paul was saying the Christian's armor is the gospel, the belt of truth, and all the benefits attached to it. So, The belt, as we just said, was this foundational piece of the Roman soldier's armor. The belt was actually this large leather sheath thing that covered the soldier. Like when you think of belt, this is not the kind of belt they were talking about. It covered the soldier from his chest all the way down to his upper thigh. Um, You've actually seen this in pictures before if you ever watched Spartacus or something. But um, I hate to use this word to describe it, but... It was like a big apron. Um, 
It doesn't sound very tough or soldiery, um, but that's really what it was. And Paul called this, it, it was a foundational. This was the thing the soldier put on before he could put on anything else. And Paul called it the belt of truth. Now, way back in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul spoke about truth this way. In him, that is in Jesus, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. For Paul, the truth is the gospel, the good news of your salvation, the good news that everything necessary for your salvation was done by Jesus for you. That the Son of God who came and he lived the perfect life you could not live and he died the death you should have died so that now you are welcomed into God's family as his dearly loved child. For Paul, this good news is the foundational piece of armor that will protect you from the enemy's temptations and accusations. And what follows in Paul's description of this armor are the benefits of the gospel. Um, I just have to run through these fairly quickly, but a breastplate of righteousness. In the gospel, you are clothed with Jesus' righteousness. So that when God looks at you in Jesus, he sees the perfectly righteous life of Jesus in your place, covering you. It's Jesus' record of righteousness for you that will defend you against your enemy's temptations and accusations. And that will give you confidence. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. These were shoes with spikes. They actually had nails in the bottom of them like cleats to give traction. In Ephesians chapter 2, if you remember this far back, Paul had said, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then he says this, For he, that is Jesus himself, is our peace. You are made ready and able to stand in the battle because you are no longer God's enemy, but his friend, because Jesus is your peace. Verse 16, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts. These were these large wooden shields that had been soaked in water so that when the enemy shot fiery darts, they would be extinguished upon hitting the fields. But Paul had written in chapter 2 as well, for For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. What will extinguish the enemy's flaming arrows of accusation and temptation and awareness that your entire salvation, even and including your faith, is a gift from Jesus? Verse 17, the helmet of salvation, a helmet which protected the head and much of the face. What did Paul ask you this, like you, you, like you think about this all week long, but what did Paul pray in chapter 3? But he pray, prayed that we would have a deep assurance of our salvation. This is what he said, that being rooted and grounded in love, we may have strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love for us in Jesus. To be assured of his immeasurable love for us in Jesus That's armor that will protect you and fill you with confidence in the midst of the battle. Now listen, I know that in this point, 
it's just like dumping a lot of information on you. Um, and, and this is a little bit different from normal sermons. But, but here's the main thing I, I want you to understand about the armor's description. Paul was saying this armor that he's talking about is the gospel and all its benefits. What he's doing is he's encouraging, he's encouraging us to look closely at the gospel, to meditate deeply on the gospel and think through all its benefits. He's, he's encouraging us to explore the gospel, the gospel beauty in all its facets. To switch metaphors on you, if you were to go to a jeweler with, a, let's say, a diamond ring and ask him to appraise it, um, the jeweler might take out that little magnifying eyepiece glass, the loop, right? And he would take that diamond and he would look at it and he would examine it and he would be turning it to look into all of its facets. I, mean, I think that's what Paul was doing here. He's saying, here's this gospel, this jewel beyond compare. And he's saying, now you need to consider it from every angle. Look into all its facets. Christ's righteousness for you. Christ's peace, the gift of faith, the assurance of your salvation. Now, let me make one quick application because I know we need to get to the final point. But I love reading through the Psalms. Maybe my favorite, one of my favorite places in the Bible, the Psalms. It, this poetry that gives us windows into David's or whatever other author's hearts and what they were experiencing. O- often the Psalms, they're written in the context of some extreme life circumstances. Right? Uh, maybe the psalmist is crushed by guilt or shame. Or the psalmist is afraid or overwhelmed or anxious or all kinds of things. And what's amazing to see in the psalms are the way the psalmist preaches to his own heart. Right, The ways in which he thinks through and meditates upon the gospel and all its benefits. How he explores the beauty of the gospel. Let me give you one example of that. Psalm 103. David wrote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Who's he talking to? He's talking to himself. He's talking to his own soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then what did David say after that? He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then he began to list them. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And that's just the first couple of verses in Psalm 103. Do you know the gospel and all its benefits? And are you working on becoming fluent in the gospel, so that you can preach it to your heart like that. Because I will tell you, a lot of us, and I include myself in this, we are very, very fluent in guilt and in shame and fear and anxiety, but not near as fluent in the gospel and all its benefits. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to meditate upon 
as he described this armor. Okay, finally, the armor's use. Here it is. How do we make use of this armor, which is the gospel and all its benefits? Listen, if you look at this passage, on the one hand, when Paul wrote these verses, he issued a command, an imperative. When he says, take up the whole armor of God, that's a command. But then he used another verb tense that referred to, it's called the aorist verb tense. It referred to a single action in the past with continuing consequences. When he says, having put on the belt of truth, right, and so on. So, so you ask this question, which is it, Paul? Do I already have the gospel and all its benefits, or do I need to put on the gospel and all its benefits? Yes. Both, right? The gospel and all its benefits are yours, but you have to use it. You have to appropriate it into your life. You have to take it and work it down deep into your heart and apply it in concrete ways so that you will be able to, verse 13, stand firm. One author puts it like this. By combining the present imperative and the aorist participles, Paul stresses that the armor, here it is, has been put on as a single event but needs to be continually utilized. Another writes, in conclusion, the appeal is for believers to preserve and appropriate all that has been done for their salvation. The way you fight the war against your enemy and all his various schemes is you you learn how to take the truth of the gospel and all its benefits and use it to guard your heart. How do you do that? How do we make use of this armor? You take up the only offensive weapons that are available to you. The sword of the Spirit, which Paul says is the Word of God. And praying in the Spirit, which Paul is clearly linking there, I think, with his use of the word Spirit. It's just this. What Paul is saying, the Bible and prayer. Do that over and over and over again. The Bible and prayer. The Bible and prayer. That's how you work the truth of the gospel and all its benefits deep into your heart. So so let's talk about this as we conclude here. Just a couple of things. How do you use the Bible and prayer to do just that? First, prayer. I'm not going to read it for you now, but write down Acts chapter 4 and go read that later this week or today or whatever. Um, But in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were preaching Jesus. They were preaching the gospel, and it led to their being arrested by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And before they were released by these leaders, they were warned and threatened to never preach the gospel again. Okay? Stop there for just a second. This is Acts chapter 4. So in Acts chapter 2, there was Pentecost. And 3,000 people were converted in one day from preaching the gospel. And then comes Acts chapter 3. And the disciples are healing people and more preaching. I mean, here's what, when you read Acts through those first three chapters, you think, boom, it's happening. Success. All these people being converted, healed. All the, it's exciting, right? All this excitement going on. Gospel going forward unimpeded. But all of a sudden, not so exciting in Acts chapter 4. Opposition. And Peter and John, they were afraid. 
And so they went and reported to their friends what had happened. And this is Acts chapter 4, verse 24. And when they heard the report, they lifted their voices together to God. And it records their prayer for you. Not they started strategizing. Not they started diagnosing what happened. Like little, helpless, dependent children, they went to their father. And here's what's interesting about their prayer, if you read it later. In their prayer, they prayed God's word back to God. They quoted one of David's psalms. And in praying God's word, they were connecting the dots from the psalms to Jesus' work of salvation. See, they were appropriating They were making use, they were putting on the armor that was already theirs, remembering what Jesus had done for them. And here's what Acts chapter 4 says immediately happened after the prayer. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So many... Cool applications we can make about this passage. But, but I want to ask you this. Do you know how to do that? And are you doing that? When you're afraid. Or when you feel ashamed over your failures. Or when you feel tempted to believe that God doesn't love you anymore. Or when you feel tempted to run to your idols to rescue you rather than run to Jesus. Do you know how to pray God's word back to him and work the gospel and its benefits deep into your heart? That's how you take up the armor that's already yours in Christ. Okay, last thing, I'll be briefer here because we need to end. Let's talk about verse 17. Taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In the gospels... um, We're told that after Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. 40 days, and the temptations were basically along these lines. Um, If you really are God's son, if God really loves you, you shouldn't have to suffer like this, Jesus. Just turn these stones to bread and eat. Cast yourself down and God will protect you. Right? Take all these kingdoms. There's no need for you to suffer. And every time Jesus was tempted, what did he do? He quoted the Bible. He argued the truth of God's word into his heart to fight the devil's temptations. He appropriated and made use of God's word. And this leads me to two questions. First, If Jesus, God's own son, the eternal, immortal son of God clothed in flesh, if he needed God's word to face temptation, what do you think that says about you and me? We might need it too. Right? You have to know God's word. You have to spend time reading God's word. You have to be working God's word deep into your heart. You have to become intimate with God's word so that you can make use of it and appropriate it when you are tempted and struggling. When you are 
lacking assurance, and you need it. But here's the second question this story of Jesus' temptation leads me to. And this is where we're going to end. Why did the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? Jesus went there to stand for you in your place. See, in the beginning, there was a garden. Right? And it was a beautiful garden. Without sin, without thorns and thistles, without, broke, without any brokenness. And in that garden, Adam and Eve stood in your place and in mine as our representatives. But you know how that story went. They fail. They failed and fell. Because they didn't trust God's word. And they didn't obey God's word. And when they fell, they plunged the whole world into sin, darkness, ruin, misery, and brokenness. But centuries later, Jesus came. Not to a garden, but to a wild place. A wilderness of thorns and thistles. A dry place. A place where brokenness was on display. And he came to succeed where we had failed. He came trusting and obeying his father's word for us. And his obedience ultimately led him to a cross. Because not only did he come to live the life of perfect righteousness for us that we could not live. But he also came to die the death of justice for us. That we should have died. And to set us free from any condemnation. Listen, the way to live before God in the midst of life's troubles, in the midst of life's battles, the way to stand firm is to stand in entire dependence upon God. It's the gospel and its benefits that are going to guard your heart against your enemy's temptations and accusations. So I ask you, do you know how to make use of that armor through prayer and the word? Are you doing this regularly? Weekly, daily, working this good news deep into your heart through prayer and the word. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we confess that we are often caught off guard um, by our enemy, caught off guard by his temptations, his accusations, and we should not be caught off guard um, because you warned us in your word that we do have a real enemy um, who seeks to attack us and devour us. Um, and so, Father, we pray that you would be kind and good and merciful and gracious and that you would protect our hearts, that you would enable us to use your word to pray before you, to pray your word back to you in order that we might make use of the good news of our salvation, that Jesus came to live the life we could not live and die the death we should have, we should have died. And Father, we pray that that would indeed, build, that good news would build us up 
and would protect us from our enemy. We pray that you would do this for your glory and for our good.